Well, we will be uh, once again in the book of John this week, and we find ourselves in the kind of in the midst of a larger story here. So I want to give you a little bit of background so you don't feel uh, too lost. All right, so Jesus healed a paralyzed man on the Sabbath, and the religious leaders didn't like that. They accused him of working on the Sabbath. Now Jesus, to defend himself, decides to tell them exactly who he is, namely that he is the son of the living God, that he is the son of God, perfectly, perfectly united to his father, that he perfectly reflects the will of God in everything that he does, uh, that he has life in himself, and that he is the final judge at the end of days. And not only is he the final judge, he is also the basis for that judgment. That everyone will be judged, not based upon uh, whether they believe in God or obeyed God, but no, whether they received and believed in him as the Son of God, as the Savior of sinners. All right, so Jesus just said a lot of very lofty claims here. These are huge statements, and Jesus recognizes that. The natural question is, okay, uh, prove it. You can't just come here and say that I'm the the God of gods, Lord of lords, and I'm going to judge the world unless you believe in me. All right, we need some proof here. And so, what is he going to do? He is going to uh, give some of the, the witnesses, those who testify to the fact that he is, in fact, the Son of God. So we're going to see a number of those witnesses that prove who he is. But not just that, he's also going to convict them of the fact that they have these huge high standards for judging him, but they've received countless other people outside of those standards, showing that the problem is not just that there isn't proof or there is proof, it's that our hearts, our hearts do not want a Savior like Jesus because in our hearts, we don't actually love the Father and his glory. So with that in mind, we're to see uh, the proof that Jesus is actually God. Now, for those of you who, who don't believe yet, I hope you, you wrestle with these realities. You have to listen to these witnesses and judge, okay, will I, will I listen or not? And is my heart such that I do not want Jesus, to be the Son of God, you have to wrestle with that as well. For those of you who have decided, this ought to be uh, further conviction, bolster your faith. These might even be things that become, some of the things that you, you memorize and learn so that you can share your faith and prove to others that Jesus is the Son of God. Ultimately, I hope that all of us would leave here praising him as the Son of God and giving him the worship that he deserves. So, let's look at four witnesses. We're going to look at John the Baptist, the works of Jesus, the witness of God the Father himself, and finally, the witness of Moses. So, John the Baptist, works, God, Moses, all these four testify this is really the eternal Son of God, worthy of worship. Let's read this in John 5, verses 31 through 47.
If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who bears witness about me, and I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. You sent to John, and he bore witness to the truth. Not that the testimony I receive is from man, but I say these things that you may be saved. He was a burning and shining lamp, and you are willing to rejoice for a while in his light. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works I am doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard. His form you have never seen, and you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom we sent. You search the scriptures, because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me, that you may have life. I do not receive glory from people, but I know that you do not have the love of God within you. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who will accuse you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believe Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings... How will you believe my words? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the witness that you have given. We thank you that, the, that you have surrounded us with proof that Jesus is the Son of God. And yet, Lord, we recognize we need far more than proof. We need the Holy Spirit to convict us, to open our eyes. We need you to speak that we may listen the word of God incarnate, Jesus Christ. So Lord, would you help us to, to be changed? Holy Spirit, would you give us ears to hear things that are supernaturally discerned? Would you overwhelm our hearts? And would you put praise in place of self-glory and uh, our own foolishness this morning? In Christ's name, amen. All right, so Jesus starts. Very simply, if I bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. Now, it's not that if he bore witness himself, he'd be lying. It's just that there's, there's no grounding there. Anyone can run around and say they are God, but they need, they need something a little more substantial to stand on. And he starts, actually, not with proof to them, but proof to himself. Verse 32. There is another who bears witness about me, and I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. Now, who are we talking about? It might seem like it's John the Baptist. It's not yet. No, this other one who bears witness is actually God the Father. And it's not God, God the Father yet saying, hey, everyone, this is, this is the Son of God. No, he's speaking to Jesus himself and testifying to Jesus that Jesus is the Son of God. Now, we see that kind of uh, throughout Scripture. One of, the, one of the most, the clearest example of this is in his baptism. You are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. He hears. He hears from his father. But 
That's merely an outward reflection of the thing that's happening constantly. Internally, inwardly in Jesus is in communion with his Father, he is constantly being reminded of who he is. The Father speaks to him and reminds him that he is son, that he is loved. He's revealing his will to the Son, and the Son is doing it. And there's this constant communion between the two. Now, that gives Jesus such a, a stability in his person that he's not groveling at the feet of people saying, who, who am I? Who do you say? What, what do you think of me? No, he knows. Because his identity is not shaped by other people. It's not, who am I? Who do I want to be? No, he listens to his father. And when his father says, you are my son, that is who he is. He listens. He believes. Now, that's, that's the starting point when he thinks about who he is and, and other people receiving him. He comes from that stable place. The Father's inward testimony to him. Now, is there any application for us in that? Well, first, it's slightly different, but God does speak to us inwardly and testifies to who we are as sons and daughters. If your faith is in Christ and you are united to Christ, you are a son, you are a daughter, you are loved, you belong to him. And before we ask ourselves, who am I? Or look out into the world and say, who, who do you say that I am? We should look to our Father and say, who, who do you say that I am and believe it? He knows who we are. And just as Jesus receives that testimony, so we should receive that testimony. Now a second, and a second personal witness. You might think, okay, well, is there any point where I, I'm receiving that witness? And my hope would be that every time you read the Scriptures, there is an internal witness that says, this is the Word of God. That you read it, and the Holy Spirit inside of you, through the Son, through the Father, that you are hearing not just words, but the words of God. And therefore, you, you, you listen, you hear, you do. Because these are the words of the Father who loves you. Now, this is an inward and spiritual thing. And I recognize you can't convince anyone that you know these are the words of God in the same sense if they have not heard that inward testimony. Now, Jesus is in the same kind of dilemma. He can't convince them based upon his own inward hearing of the Father's voice that he is the Son of God. And so he, he lays that foundation and then he moves off of it for their sake. So they might have something a little bit more testable, something a little bit more tangible for them that they might hear as well. And he starts with John the Baptist. Verse 33. You sent to John and he has borne witness to the truth. So going back all the way to chapter 1, 
the religious leaders, they actively sent messengers to John the Baptist asking him, like, who are you and what are you about? And John the Baptist gave them a testimony. One that perfectly lines up with everything that Jesus has said here. I'll, I'll remind us, John 1, 29. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him, this is John the Baptist, and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me, because he was before me. All right, so we see Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This is a, this is a strange phrase. After me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. What is this saying? This is saying, you were born after me, but you were also way before me. This is John recognizing, like, this is not just some person who is new. This is the pre-existing Son of God. And he is far greater than I am because he ranks all the way back to eternity past. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove and it remained on him. Jesus is the one filled with the Holy Spirit. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. So he is both filled with the Holy Spirit and baptizer with the Holy Spirit, able to give life. And I have seen and bore witness that this is the Son of God. Jesus has been saying this again and again. I am the Son, co-equal with the Father, perfectly united to Him. And He's holding this before them, saying, you went to John the Baptist and asked him, who I am. Why did you go if you're not going to listen to his testimony? Now he does give this caveat, verse 34. Not that the testimony I receive is from man, but I say this, that you may be saved. That further reminder, it's, it's not that Jesus is desperately asking John the Baptist, who am I? And it's proof to him. No, he, he knows, but they don't. And he hopes that they might believe. Now, think of, think of the, the weight of John the Baptist saying this. All right, remember who John the Baptist is. All right, so he is a, he's a fulfillment of Scripture. He is the voice crying in the wilderness. He is the one come in the spirit and power of Elijah. Like They had been waiting for him. And we think of the miracles that surround... Like Christmas is not just only about Jesus' birth, it's also about John the Baptist's birth. And the miracles of a barren woman who was able to conceive. Right? We had the, the angel appearing to John the Baptist's father and striking him, dumb and mute, for, for not believing that this was a prophet born. And he's called... He's not, not a prophet. A prophet, no, more than a prophet... And this, this man sent by God, has been all too clear about who Jesus is. He was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while 
in his life. This is high praise from Jesus. Burning light, shining. And the people, they did bask in his light. Now, John the Baptist is not just a a biblical figure. He's a historical figure. Historians from the time speak of the fame of John the Baptist and the crowds going to him and and that he was preparing the way for the chosen one. And they came came flocking to him, preparing themselves to hear about about how they could prepare themselves for the coming one. And then with this great irony, all of a sudden they don't want him anymore. They've heard and revered John the Baptist, but they don't care about the one he says is the promised one. They've missed the whole point of John the Baptist. Which is a warning to us that we can be all gung-ho until it comes really to like, okay, but will you receive Jesus? Will you follow him? Will you believe in him? Will you treat him like the Son of God incarnate or not? Now, Jesus is then moving on to to bigger and better testimony. Verse 36. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. All right, now we're talking about the works of Jesus. What are the works that he has done? All right, let's start with the obvious stuff. All right, miracles. All right, and not a couple. Miracle after miracle, the healings. All right, the blind are given sight. Paralytics are walking. Think of the man with a withered hand that is restored. We think of the mute who are able to speak, the sick and ill restored. Think of the bleeding woman. Doctor after doctor really touches the back of his cloak and is healed. The lepers who are cleansed. He has life in himself and life radiates from him, destroying sickness and death. Exorcisms. Seven times in scripture does he cast out demons, one of which is legions of demons. He has power over the kingdoms of darkness. He is, in fact, the light that penetrates the darkness. You cannot be overcome by it. He has control over nature. We already saw some of these in John. Uh, He turns water into wine. He miraculously gives people good fishing trips. (laughs) You're a fisherman, that's a good one. Uh, He feeds the multitudes. We're going to see that next week. Thousands of people fed from a few loaves. He walks on water. The one time he has to pay a temple tax and doesn't want to get caught, what does he do? He makes a fish. Bring him a coin. And makes the fish play for it. Uh, he calms the storm with a simple word, curses the fig tree, and it withers before him. 
He has power over creation because he is the word of God. The means by which, the instrument by which God created all things and sustains all things. And so when he encounters creation, he has utter control over it. We see his transfiguration, where he's transformed into glory before his disciples. And Peter later says, like, that that was a transforming experience. It was true. He saw it with his own eyes. And finally, we see the resurrection. Three times as he resurrects others from the dead, and he resurrects himself from the dead by his own power. The works of Jesus testify that he is the Son of God. And now you might say, okay, well, like, say, so scripture says that he does all this stuff. Uh, so do other sources. Josephus. The Jewish scholar at the time, what does he call Jesus? He calls him a doer of wonderful works, of miraculous works. Celsus, you think, well, like, yeah, he's Jewish, maybe he's biased. Celsus, uh, he, he, this is an anti-Christian guy who's trying to like speak against Christ and all this stuff that happened, but what does he say? He says uh, that Jesus had miraculous powers. Now, he says it's because he's a magician, not because he's connected with God. And that's where, like, okay, you have to, like, dig pretty deep. He's not denying that he did miracles. He's saying, oh, it's a different source. The Pharisees had to do the same thing. Oh, oh, yeah, he does miracles, but it's probably Satan's power. And Jesus lays them out for how stupid that would be. That Satan would destroy himself to, it doesn't make any sense. All right, the world saw Jesus do miracles. The people testified to it. The records were kept, so much that John could say, now there are many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. The miracles testify that Jesus is the Son of God. And not just the miracles, what else do we have? We have all of his words. He is the word. And when he speaks, he speaks the word of God. And we think about the, the way the world has been shaped by the words of Jesus. We think of the, the golden rule. I'm like, I cannot escape that with my own children. Like the, That is a beautiful summary of all moral thought. We see the stories of, of things like the, the prodigal son, or the good Samaritan, overflowing grace and love. And we, we long for those things to be real and true. You see like the, the incising precision of the parables. We see his emphasis on, on true faith and grace and mercy as opposed to performance, self-righteousness, and dead religion. So much so that the, the world may reject Jesus, but they like him as a teacher. 
and they have to say, you know, he, he said some things I like. And that he could be both that kind of person, full of grace and mercy, but also full of truth. And never caught, never deceived. Who, with wisdom and with utter cleverness, is able to get out of all of the accusations that were thrown against him. And then to go to the cross and not speak a word. To be utterly rejected and unjustly punished. And while on that cross, say, Father, forgive me, for you know they know not what they do. When the centurion saw Jesus die, he said, surely this is the Son of God. He had seen countless people on crosses. He had seen countless people die. This was different. The works, the words of Jesus speak that this is the Son of God. What do you do with this Jesus? This one who is, is arguably the most influential person in all of human history. That people have called God. What do you do with that? Now, Jesus doesn't stop there. He now offers a third witness. And this time it's the Father again, but not the Father speaking to him but the Father speaking to the people. And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. Now, where did the Father bear witness about Jesus? We well, say very simply, like at his baptism, he both says, you are my beloved son, and he also says, this, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. Or he's transfigured, this is my beloved son. Father speaks. But not only that, but the, the Father speaks in that the words of Jesus are the Father's. It's not that you see Jesus and the Father. You see them one and the same. Every time Jesus speaks, it's the testimony of the Father. Everything that Jesus does should reflect upon the nature of the Father. And if you knew the Father... You would see Jesus and you would see God. You would see the Father in every action, in every word. How sad when people tear those two apart and they say, oh, look, the Father is so judgmental and the Son is so gracious. No, then you never knew the Father. They are one and the same. Now he goes on. And this starts where the, the edge starts to come into the conversation. The Father, his voice, you have never heard. His form, you have never seen. You do not have his word abiding in you, you for you do not believe the one whom he sent. This is where that just convicted about the heart, and he's saying, the reason you're not hearing the Father's testimony through me is because you don't know him. You've never heard him before. You've never seen him. And his word is not abiding in you. 
Otherwise, you couldn't help but believe. And he's saying this to those who profess their great faith in God. He's saying, you are fake Israelites. You think that you have this great relationship with Yahweh, yet you don't know anything because you don't know me. He's going to go particularly to the Scriptures. You search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. Or just like with John the Baptist, like, yes, you flocked to John the Baptist, but didn't hear what he said. You run to the Scriptures, and you don't hear what they say. The Scriptures are about Jesus. The scriptures are not a book of moral laws about how you should live your life. The scriptures are not good examples of people to imitate. The scriptures are not general facts about God. The scriptures are the story again and again and again of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the payment for sin. That is the story. And if you're reading it and not getting Jesus out of it, then you are not reading the Scriptures. You're using them for life and missing the life giver that it's about. All right, we could, we could talk about this for a really long time, all the ways in Scripture that the death and resurrection is shown. We did it in a men's group, and like we kept going and going and going, and they're like, are you doing this for a sermon? I was like, no. <laughs> it was two weeks ago. I really wasn't at that time. Uh, now I should have. I should have recorded it all. Um, all right, just a, just a couple. Like the child of Eve that would crush the serpent's head. All right, that's That's Jesus. The ram that would replace Isaac, the sacrificed son. David's son, who would remain on the throne forever, king of an eternal kingdom. Isaiah 53, suffering servant. Right, the prophecies of his birth. That the, the kingdom would be on, that the government would be on his shoulders. He'd be the prince of peace. Born of a virgin. Prophecies of his life and his death, the, the word for word accounts from the, from the Psalms that his bones would not be broken. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He is a cornerstone. All of these things point to the, the stories about Jesus. This accusation is probably not going to stick for us because uh, the question is, have you, have you diligently studied the scriptures but missed Jesus? I think the conviction is, like, I don't know if I've studied, still diligently studied the scriptures yet. Uh, so I haven't missed him because I haven't looked. But if you have, if you have sought life in this word and missed Jesus, like, you've replaced what, what should I do with what Jesus has done for you? The scripture should not be this like 
not just this load of all the things you've failed to do, but this uplifting reminder of all that Christ has done for us. And that we are always waiting for Jesus as the Son of God. Now, how could they miss it? All right, and this is where the, the knife is driven a little further. I do not receive glory from people. He's not, he's not like whining that they're not giving him the glory he's due. But I know that you do not have the love of God within you. Their failure to love the Son is failure to love the Father. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. What is that saying? He's saying, I, I, I came to represent my Father and his glory and show you how you can glorify the Father and the things that glorify him, give you lives that glorify him. But because I came like that, you did not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? All right, what's the accusation here? He's basically saying that countless other leaders and messiahs have come. And people were all too willing to follow them even though they came in their own name for their own glory. Why? Because they were promising glory to the people. When a great military leader rose up and said, hey, I'll give you peace and victory so you might be glorified and set free, they all cheered. They'll receive him. Or maybe they have this great and new would-be king and says, oh, I will, I will rule and bring great riches and restore our, our place in the world. And they are all too happy to receive him and cheer for him. But they'd have teachers who'd come and say, I will give you all the secret knowledge and you'll be so much more wise and knowledgeable than everyone else. And we say, hooray, I will be built up. But Jesus then turns and he says, no. Hey, I come for the glory of my Father. Repent. Stop taking glory for yourself. Stop building your own kingdoms. Stop running after what you want and actually pursue the things that God wants. And I'll restore you to fellowship with him. And I'll help you to love him and glorify him and make him king and Lord of all. And what do they say? How Dare you talk about the Father. It's not because they don't believe. It's because they don't want to follow someone who's all about God's glory and not theirs. What a horribly convicting reality. That when another says, stop glorifying yourself and glorify God, suddenly we go deaf. And we run away. Now, you have that kind of selective hearing. That if someone is telling you how to glorify God, close your ears. But if someone is saying how to glorify yourself, 
you're all too willing to listen. Right? Ten steps to make yourself rich or ten steps to how to glorify God. <laughs> We're like, <laughs> this is, I like this message. Because we have itching ears. And we're passionate about our own glory. And we're not passionate about the glory of God. At least less to our natural selves we are. Who do you listen to? Whose voices do you seek out? I remind us, God's glory is ultimate. We are made to glorify him. That we are most ourselves. When we lose ourselves in his glory. That is life. That is what the world was created to do. And when we stand before him in all of his glory, we will not hold up our lives and say, look how much glory I can attain for myself. We'll ask ourselves, how have I glorified this one? who is full of love and mercy and grace, and who pursued me in Christ and called me to, to receive him as Savior and to be restored in relationship. That is the story. That is the story of all of history. Will we receive it? you really not like Jesus for lack of evidence because your heart is hard. Now, one last, one last witness here. Who will, who will stand against us if we refuse Jesus? Ironically, for these Jewish people, it was the, the worst of accusers, Moses himself. Father of the covenant, who had given them the law, the one that had delivered them out of slavery, who had stood before the Father and had said, like, do not destroy them, show mercy and grace, who was their mediator. Jesus is saying, that, that guy is going to turn around and accuse you on the last day for not receiving Jesus. Do not think I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses on whom you have set your hope. They have set their hope on Moses because they have set their hope on the law that he had given, not upon the Savior they pointed to. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? All right, this is said to a bunch of Moses fans. People who loved Moses. People who had been saved by Moses. Who, who owed their whole nation to Moses. And what had they done? They had followed him, but not his faith. And they had chained themselves to the law that he had given. It was actually death. The law wasn't supposed to give them life. It was to show them they were dead. So they might seek life in the one that Moses looked to for life. That very Moses, 
who was once their mediator, would now become their accusers in the last day for their failure to not have his same faith. Now we ask, how did, how did Moses believe in Jesus? Moses. Moses believed in the Passover lamb. The true Passover lamb whose blood would cause the passing over of sin. That's why John says, this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He believed in the rock that would be struck and would pour out living water. When Jesus says to the woman at the well, they could receive living water, like, he's saying he's the rock who would be struck. Moses knew that and believed it. He's the bread of heaven. Moses knew that they were not simply sustained by manna in the wilderness, but by God himself. And he was waiting for the bread from heaven that would come down, Jesus Christ. We already saw the bronze serpent that was lifted up, and that Jesus would be lifted up destroy the, the poison of death that Satan, that serpent, would seek to destroy us with. He is the true priest who would go into a heavenly tabernacle and shed his own blood on the mercy seat before God, offering the one payment for sin. Moses believed in that. Moses believed in the true prophet who would come and speak the word of God. Moses believed in the true mediator, the better Moses. He was not looking to himself. He was looking to one who would replace him and be far more glorious. He was looking to the Son of God who would come. He will condemn them at the last day because they do not share his faith. They are not united to him, the same Savior that he is. And while he can be mediator for idolatry and for the golden calf and for so much, he will not, he will not tolerate the rejection of the Son of God, the Savior of the world, all the things that point to him. Now, this is an invitation. Invitation to believe in Jesus Christ, the Son of God. To trust him. To believe that his, his death is offered as your death for sin. That his resurrection life is your life. For those who believe in him, they have already entered into eternal life through him and in him, and by faith. So invite us. Let us join the faith of John the Baptist. Let us listen to the words and the works that he has done. Let us hear the Father when he speaks. Let us join our forefather Moses in his faith.
and let us believe in Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we praise you and thank you for the work that you established ever since the fall. We thank you, Jesus, for taking on this work to die for sinners and give them life. We thank you for, for coming in humiliation and revealing yourself to us. We thank you for the, the cloud of witnesses that stand before us who have set their eyes on you, Jesus. We thank you, Holy Spirit, for opening our eyes for speaking through the word, for convicting us and, and convincing us of the truth of Christ. Would you continue that work? Would you soften our hearts? Would you make us fall out of love with our own glory and rejoice that the glorious one has died on our behalf and given us life? To the glory and praise of your name, Jesus Christ, 